Hey, hey, welcome to Humans of Metagame, a meta radio podcast about, well, the humans of metagame. We'll be interviewing the players and patrons of metagame about who they are, how they got here, why are they here, and why do they even like metagame? Why? Welcome, welcome, Alec. Finally having you on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Keith. Got a lot going on, like a lot of people in the space, I guess. There are a lot of people in metagame. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Alec. I've been, let's see, hacking on metagame and involved in the community for, see, it's been a little over a year now, I want to say. It's been a lot of fun. I live in um, Salt Lake City, Utah. And I've been here for a while now. I actually grew up in northern New York and came out here after school to kind of be in the mountains and and haven't left. So, yeah, I, I dig it here. And, yeah, I've been a software developer for 15 years professionally. I bounced around quite a bit. I started for about three years just as like a normal employee um, out here in Salt Lake. And then went went freelance in 2010, and then I've pretty much been doing that ever since. So it's been a while. It's been a lot of fun. Allowed for like pretty good work life balance. I've mostly been able to take time off whenever I want and kind of work on projects that are, you know, technically interesting but not not very meaningful. I can't actually think of any like actually meaningful projects that I've worked on professionally in the in the 11 years that I've been doing it as a freelancer, which is, you know, what kind of companies did you work for? I did a lot of work early on for like digital markets marketing agencies. So I was doing like landing pages, like really like rich interactions to like the homepage for like Another agency, I think, was one of my first projects, and I had like a lot of like heavy, like interactive JavaScript stuff, and like a really nice design. So I worked with um, pretty top tier graphic designers for a while, which was a really interesting experience because I kind of started to understand kind of what differentiates people in in the design space, at least for like interactive design. But like you know, it, it was it was frustrating because. I would build something and then it'd be done and I'd move on to another project. And then like five months later, I'd like go to look at that thing that I built and it'd be like totally gone. They like replaced it with something else. <laughs> and that just kept happening over and over again. And, and that's like, you know, it's, it's not uncommon in software. Like, I don't know what average life expectancy for any piece of software is, but it's definitely a lot less than like the, the ad in- industry. <laughs> So that was kind of frustrating. It took took a while before I worked on something that like kind of stuck around for a bit and was actually getting used. And like not even, you know, it took probably 10 years until I found my current full-time, well, mostly full-time gig where, you know, I'm working on the back end for an app that sees like, I don't know, 300 daily users and it gets hit pretty hard. So that's been a very useful thing to work on. And it's like, again, like not meaningful, but uh, it's, you know, every project I work on, I learn a lot and like freelancing and being a contractor for this long has like 
made me pretty like I feel like I've kind of seen it all in terms of like different types of software and you know I've done the whole full stack thing for for a long time and have really like you know design databases design systems like a little bit of graphic design but that's not definitely not my strong suit especially after seeing what what actually talented people can do <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's been really fun I feel really grateful to have been able to do this you know it, it affords like a pretty low-key lifestyle I get paid pretty well and um, I've had a lot of a lot of time flexibility to go off and have lots of adventures over over the years <laughs> yeah that sounds great yeah yeah it's been fun you went from like uh, only freelancing to working which was working like part-time for one company then freelancing or doing whatever you want for the rest of the time um, yeah, I mean, I was, I started billing hourly, like most freelancers, and then found that, like, I never really worked that much in any given day. And by, by work, I mean, like, sitting at my computer, like, typing in code, you know. And o over the years, I started to kind of change my billing model, where it wasn't, like, so focused on the time. And I tried to bill in, like, greater and greater increments of time, so that, you know, my the focus was not so much on the time spent doing things because I found that I can get things done generally pretty quickly and especially compared to a lot of other developers. But then like, you know, your your hourly rate can only be so much before people are like, WTF, like I'm not going to pay you that much money. <laughs> and so starting to go like a, like a daily billing model and then eventually like I started going all the way up to like a monthly billing rate where I felt like it was fair and like, you know, it was, it was, reasonably cost-effective for, for my um, employers over the years. So Right. Makes sense. Oh, yeah. Your, your, your question was whether I work part-time. So kind of, not really. I mean, I work pretty much every day. I work like a normal mo Monday through Friday, but it's not like nine to five. It's like, you know, I kind of, most of my working hours are during that time, but, you know, there's, there's definitely some flexibility. And pretty much every project I've done is like, a small team or I'm just working on my own except for my, my current gig where I'm like a, a like an augmented kind of employee I'm like an augmented uh, so it's like staff augmentation where I'm a contractor like coming into a company and basically working on their team but I'm a contractor and I'm like as much as part of the team as anybody else mm -hmm. yeah makes sense that's cool that feels uh, at least for me it would be much better than just yeah like uh just being a contractor without any sort of feeling of being in a team. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I missed that for a while. And, you know, I was <laughs> with COVID, like everyone's working from home and I've been doing it for like, I don't know, 12 years now. And for me, like I'm, I'm really curious how things are going to change or not, because like I found after like three or four years of doing it, where I was just, you know, had a home office, had a desk, like I'd just be sitting at home, like tapping on a computer all day and then, and like not really talking to people just because that was the nature of my work and still is for the most part. But yeah, like by the end of the day, I'd be like, oh, oh God, I need to get out of here. And so eventually, like when I, I started freelancing, like around the time that I met my now wife, and she she uh, convinced me. <laughs> it took about a year or so to be like, Alec, you really need to go get some like office space or like a shared desk or something. And so finally, in like I think it was twenty fifteen, 
I went and started working out of a, a co-working space. Started full-time, and now I've got a nice situation where I'm at home in the mornings and then like have lunch with my family and then go into the office for like a few hours in the afternoon. And that kind of breaks it up nicely. Nice. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel so good working from home the whole day. Like, And for me, like I work in the room that I'm also sleeping in. <laughs> Just in this room for so long every day. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna mess with your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You said that that none of the projects you were working on were not uh, were like uh, really. I don't remember what exact word you said, but like not really fulfilling or impactful or something like that. Yeah, like none of them were like moving humanity forward in any meaningful way or even like trivial way <laughs> it's just like helping you know and like the vast majority of corporate jobs are like that and especially i feel like in the tech sector so like i never really focused on that and it never really mattered that much to me just because like everything else was pretty good like i was working the hours i wanted to like i was i was always having fun doing my job you know, I, I love writing code and I get into flow states like every day and it's like really quite wonderful. But, you know, I'm a little bit older now. I'm in my mid thirties and it's like, I kind of see where things are going from like trajectory. And like, I feel like there's like a moral imperative to be doing something that's actually setting the groundwork for a more like resilient future. It's kind of the way I like to look at it. And that's what brought me to metagame. I was like, you know, there's been a long path to end up here. But like at the end of the day, it was like, I spent like three or four years kind of searching around, trying to figure out what was going on in the world and listening to podcasts and reading, you know, articles and trying to find like, what was the next step for me? Like I knew that I wanted to get involved and something that was actually meaningful and that I believed in, but I still wanted to use like these, like, you know, super valuable technical skills that I have. <laughs> and like, you know, there's like lots of things that are useful and are fairly helpful in like a more turbulent world, which I think we're coming into permaculture and like gardening and that sort of thing. But it's like, you know, I have no experience doing that. And there's no transition path for like your, your livelihood for doing that sort of thing. And so like, I felt like it, it made sense to find something where I could use these tech skills and still like contribute to something that I see as like actually, you know, helping us transition to like a better world. <laughs> so that's kind of what brought me to the crypto scene and, and metagame specifically. And have you found uh, like, were there any projects that you like, competing for your attention besides uh, metagame yeah not really it's it's pretty funny like <laughs> i remember um you came out of the stoa it was like i think like september or october of last year 2020 and i think you you called the the talk it was like i don't know that the like tagline for your talk was like metagame like just some kids tried to build a uh, like a new society, a new socioeconomic system, and I was like, "Ooh, that's very interesting." Yeah, <laughs> the title was a meta game, a game B of sorts, <laughs> and then and then that was like the description. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I was like, "Ooh, that's this is very interesting." <laughs> I was like very 
very interested in the whole game B space for a while, but it was always very nebulous. I felt like there's a lot of talk about it on podcasts and all of the conversation around it was all like theoretical and there's, it seemed like there's nothing actually applied to it. And so it was kind of frustrating. I was like, yes, I agree with all, all of what you're saying, but it's like, how do we actually move forward? Absolutely nothing tangible. Yeah, yeah, nothing tangible. Like, I didn't see any projects being spun up to actually do anything. Yeah, and then, like, some of the founders were even, like, uh, in that sort of thing, like, you know, the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao. And it's like, yes, like, from a philosophical point of view. You cannot build, you cannot build game B, it has to emerge. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's emerging because you want to build it. <laughs> Right, right. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom there, but it's like, ah, oh, like, eventually you got to do something, you know? And I think it's it's best to just, like, do something that kind of feels right and is oriented towards, like, you know, this better world that you know is possible, in Charles Eisenstein's words. Yeah, I just didn't see anything. And, and there wasn't anything, like, within those communities that, I found, that, that like, resonated with me, that I felt like, you know, I was especially well-suited to, to work on. And uh, I assume that's kind of still the case. I haven't really been that involved since I started with Metagame with all that stuff. Beyond just, like, listening, you know, I'm still fairly well paying attention to what's going on in that space. And there, there are, like, heavy overlaps with the, with the, like, Ethereum crypto community and other, like, spaces that are interesting. And I just want to say that you, like you said, listen to a lot of podcasts and related to this, were you also listening to the Future Thinkers maybe? Yeah, yeah. Future Thinkers was actually the first one. I, I think I was Googling for like civilization collapse or something, <laughs> like something <laughs> super dark like that. And like... Uh, the English Schmachtenberger. Yeah, Schmachtenberger and Jordan Hall. And those... I edited that episode. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was my first freelancing job, like freelancing work that I did. Yeah, yeah that's wild. Yeah, there was like two or three conversations that just like blew my mind. And I was like, this, like everything like made sense with, with what they were saying. And I was like, oh man, like, and I just wanted, I wanted more. Like, and I started following pretty much everything that those two guys were saying. And I'm still like doing that to, to some extent, and then also trying to like seek out criticisms because, like, you know, it's important not to not to get too like, you know, to drink the Kool Aid too much from one particular person. Right, right. I realized that a lot of people in crypto haven't even heard about the game B, and from the beginning, like, that's really what I was thinking with meta game, like not meta game as in a game, but <laughs> like alluding to the. Game B, and I really wanted to make it uh, like an intersection of, uh, like, first of all, uh, yeah, all of these uh, sort of movements of people that are imagining a different kind of future. But so far, like, uh, yeah, a lot of most of, like, pretty much everyone that got into MetaGame got into it through crypto, and most of them don't even know about this stuff. And I think it's it's really awesome. It's really awesome that uh, you came from exactly from there. And uh, yeah, do you want to like? get into the game B a bit. Yeah, like I, I <laughs> it, it kind of makes sense and it probably shows in like the type of involvement that I have in metagame. Like I don't really pay attention that much to what's going on in the crypto space. I mean, I, I am a little bit more now because I'm like, it's more tangible and it's more relevant to what's going on in metagame. But it's like, 
I'm definitely not like a crypto fanboy. Like I don't see like crypto as the solution to, you know, a better world. I see it as a means of transitioning to something hopefully more sustainable. You know, it just seems still a little bit too many things that it's dependent on and it's too you know, there's there's so much infrastructure that's necessary for crypto to even like continue to exist. All of our like electrical and fiber optic and communication infrastructure, like the you know the the, the global supply chains that allow our phones and computers to be you know made quickly and relatively cheaply. It's like all of those things are exist because of you know the current world that we live in. You know, game A, Moloch, you know whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, you know, th this is like a kind of miraculous world that we live in already. And the whole crypto thing doesn't even exist without all of that. And so if any of those foundations like start to fall away, it's like, you know, I feel like crypto, <laughs> there, there's no path forward. Within the Game B movement, there's a series on the Stoa about Doomer Optimism. Basically, there's like a few people that have gone to, most of them have gone to like Central or South America to kind of do homesteading and work on like regenerative agriculture or just like earth regeneration practices. And there's like three or four episodes in the series and it was really good. And I thought it was like, there were like three or four in this particular series. I think what they're doing is like, much more in alignment with something that's actually like sustainable in a hundred years. <laughs> it is like very necessary and tangible and, you know, like you're growing your own food, you're kind of, you know, obviously you're still somewhat dependent on the greater infrastructure and community, but, it, you know, it's much more resilient than transactions going over the internet. <laughs> you're right. The Roberto, the guy that, uh, that owns the liminal village, he had also like a, fairly simple idea to help like small towns just like what if uh, every small town had a like big screen in town square where every person can just post what what they need and what they are offering and just with like simply being able to do that and would allow people to exchange things and without like needing money not just posting what you need and what you offer but generally for coordinating stuff because yeah, towns don't really have anything like that. Like, it's it's easier to coordinate communities online because we have all of these tools for, like, tracking work that's going on or, like, uh, better communications and whatever, but a small town doesn't have it there. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's an interesting segue because, like, for crypto, I guess when I got into metagame or started learning about, like, de decentralized government and inventing your own currencies and that sort of thing, like... I saw it as a means of empowering communities and like organizations to function better and to coordinate better. And I still think that's like, like a really effective means of doing that and of going through that, that transition. And so I actually found the common stack before I found metagame kind of like did a bit of research into that. And you know, they're, they're like pretty heavy into the token engineering stuff. And it was like, kind of abstract and hard to understand <laughs> but i was like this is like very cool that 
you know, you're building software to support the commons. Like, yes, like this, this needs to happen. And it, and it makes a lot of sense. I don't know what their like long-term vision is in terms of like how that software gets utilized, but you know, that intersection between crypto and the real world is like really what, what I'm interested in. Right. And uh, there's finally starting to be more of that. Like so far it's been so, so focused only on the digital and more like starting to get into like virtual worlds and all of that. And for me, that's like the, the least interesting part. Yeah, totally. It's just like, I mean, it makes sense that that exists <laughs> because there's a huge amount of people that are interested in crypto because it's an exciting new world and affords lots of different opportunities. But like, you know, the, the whole like metaverse thing, like I see it as just like a, another way of like bypassing some problems in your life. Yeah, making it easy to forget that everything is going to shit. Yeah, totally. There's going to be more of that for sure. Like I'm I'm not super optimistic about like the next 20 years or so. And yeah, like we, we need people like going all in on healing and self-improvement and putting their efforts into actually trying to make things better. But I feel like we're also like as a society, we're just so there's just so much trauma. <laughs> That's like really hard for people to kind of you know, think outside of themselves and to appreciate like, you know, the, the miracle that is like modern Western life. Also the seriousness of the predicament that we're in like globally. And that's going to take like a lot of people to go all in kind of like what, what you're doing. I mean, that's why like joining metagame was so inspirational. I was like, yeah, like the vision is really big and that's cool. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But yeah, most people uh, barely have time to deal with their own problems, let alone like try to think about uh, bigger societal problems. And I've just been super lucky to even have the opportunity to like be able to start something like Metagame because like, yeah, it requires a lot of time that to get started. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, me too. Like, I only have time to work on this because I. I'm a software developer that's in like huge demand and you know I also had a privileged upbringing and so there's all that affords all sorts sorts of different things and realize the importance of taking care of yourself and mental health and and all that and like that's why I can contribute and that's also why I've had time to kind of go through the like self-healing to be able to <laughs> to do to, to like think about these things you know and to actually like focus on them and that's why like I see crypto and a lot of these other things just as like a transition. You know, like something like UBI. Like I'm I'm very pro UBI mainly just because I think it would just take the pressure off of people. And I think it's probably okay for the most part that, you know, some non negligible amount of people living on UBI would not work. Like I don't see that as a problem. And like it would allow them to do that personal work to heal, to like heal the traumas of the past, to like hopefully disconnect from the whole like materialist capitalist um, economy and, and society in order to like step back and like realize, you know, what's going on. And hey, like we kind of have to coordinate and figure out a way to 
build a world that's actually sustainable. But I don't know, maybe I'm naive. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, uh, like the most people just say, oh, yeah, you give people money without having to work and they will just not work and not do anything. But yeah, like I see just like on my personal case, like the, no, I didn't uh, stop working. I'm working harder than I ever worked just because I'm able to focus on things that I actually care about and I'm not going to chill like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, there's definitely questions like, like for me, if you do something like UBI where, and we're kind of seeing that at a small scale already in the U.S. with, you know, the, we've had pretty rich unemployment benefits for a while. And like, there's all these like child tax credits and we're already seeing like there's more jobs than people that want to work on them <laughs> because like our, our like safety net has gotten a little bit better. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a long way to go, but like already like employers are having a hard time, like finding people to do, you know, basic stuff like line cooks at, at restaurants and janitors and that sort of thing. And it's like with, with UBI, like I don't really see how, like, it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to do those jobs. And if there would be a problem here in, in Croatia, like during the summer, they also like can't find enough waitresses and waiters and like people to work in the restaurants and that sort of stuff. Like it's so always in demand. And yeah, if people were getting basic income, those things would be very in higher demand. Yeah. And I think like a greater focus on the small scale and, you know, like within a particular like restaurant or, you know, I'm not super knowledgeable about like the food service industry, but it's like, theoretically, if jobs weren't so specialized, then, you know, you could kind of rotate through, oh, like Alex, it's Tuesday, Alex in charge of cleaning the toilets, you know, and you're kind of rotating through it. And hopefully like, you, you know, there's like something in there or it's like a part-time job or something where it's, you're, you're doing something that, is motivating enough and like you know for you to be okay with the like shit job <laughs> that's how i see like these things also like uh, being uh, taken just if we were building like a, a new village and there would be obviously these kind of jobs and uh, yeah we just saw that like everybody could uh, not really freelance but yeah i guess freelance in a way in a sense that they put their own schedule for what what they want to be doing and then, like, some of those jobs are not so terrible if you just have to do them one day. It's just that they're so, like, repetitive and, uh, like, nah, you just... You, you would never do them full-time, but once a week, why not? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, and they would also start start be getting paid more, like, if they were, like, in such demand. Yeah, totally. Like, the shit jobs should probably be get be getting paid more just because no one wants to do them therefore like by definition they're more viable <laughs> yeah i did a, a fair amount of research into uh intentional communities about a year ago you know like COVID hit and i'm already like a slight like doomsdayer and i was like okay like what are what are some paths for it here and started researching like intentional communities and uh, you know the, the future thinkers guys were you know are, are still as far as i know they're still doing their they're like smart village 
and I, you know, I see those projects being really important in terms of just figuring out, you know, some things that work. And I like started looking at, there are a few like AMAs on Reddit from people that lived in, lived in some of these communities. And I, I forget the, this particular one, but the one guy was saying that like, it was some paper that someone wrote on intentional communities. And basically like the, from what I remember, the, one of the things that all the successful communities had in common was that everyone, there was compulsory work and that everyone, like there's some sort of like social capital involved with like contributing. And if you didn't have that, it didn't work, which makes sense. You know, like freeloaders are real and it's like, and there are a certain amount of people that like aren't ever going to want to like do any manual labor. And it's like, well, that's, you know, that, that doesn't really work. It's probably not good for them either. There's some amount of guilt, even if they will not never admit it, that they're just kind of sitting around while everyone else is doing all the work. Right. And then those that are doing work get uh, annoyed and start doing less work or leave. Yep. You have to solve these problems. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, like, in the crypto w- world, there's a lot of references to Ostrom and her, like, work in proving the fallacy of where everyone's like oh the like race to the bottom dynamics oh the the tragedy of the commons yeah yeah exactly and that like i find that quite fascinating and from what i remember it's like if like a it's like 10 or 12 guidelines that if you follow all of them there's no longer a race to the bottom or a tragedy of the commons and so i feel like in the crypto world there's some work towards like systems to implement them in a way that's potentially scalable and like i find that quite fascinating and hopeful (laughs) yeah the commons tech wrote a really great article about the the tragedy of the commons and the eight principles in crypto, like applied crypto, like a few years ago. It's really good. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, experimenting in digital communities is a good place to start, but I don't know how much of that actually translates to like real communities. And so like very interested and hopefully this happens in the next like five years or so where we can actually empower some, whether it's, you know, it, it, it probably makes more sense for, like the initial implementations of something like the the common stack of um, tools to be used for like a, you know, something like regenerative network of of groups that are like on the ground, you know, like coordinating resources amongst the network and then also at a smaller scale amongst the people actually like doing the work. Right. Yeah, like that's what I always wanted to do, like going back to the (laughs) intentional communities and these sort of like eco-villages that's what I actually wanted to do like before metagame, before any of this stuff. I just figured it's much easier to start in the digital. There's like less less starting costs. It seemed, seemed much easier. Yeah. And with the internet, yeah. It's easier to find your tribe also. And bring people and everything. But I also, like now, when I was in, in Lisbon for the LISCON, I met this guy that had a, actually a company that was like a Airbnb for eco-villages. 
and then he, they shut down because uh, I think he couldn't find investors because he really didn't want to charge money or whatever, something like that. Like he really didn't care about the business side of it. He just wanted to create this network. And so he had to shut it down, but he still has the whole network. And I, I talked to him about uh, yeah, getting him on the podcast as well and maybe trying to bring some of these communities to Metagame as well. And there's some in the Bloom network as well. And uh, the one that the common stack uh, give it people are in Costa Rica, some eco village as well. We should, uh, yeah, be onboarding more of them. We just haven't really focused on that yet. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear more about that, like how some of these, you know, aligned communities are leveraging these like blockchain technologies to empower themselves. And, you know, I don't know if this is actually happening in real life or not. I, I imagine it is to some extent. And I'd, I'd love to like hear some podcasts or interviews or something about, about more of that stuff because... Like the, the Stoa is kind of my main place to kind of hear about cutting edge developments in that arena, but there isn't really a lot um, with crypto. And so I feel like these things are happening, but I'm not really aware of, of them. And I think it would be pretty motivating to hear, hear some of that. I think like actual crypto crypto, mainly what what it could do is like the bootstrapping with something like the common stack, the bonding curve. Or generally just for making community currencies. And a great example is the Grassroots Economics. You know that project? No. So there's a village in Africa and they made a, a token that's backed by DAI. But only like 20% of it is backed or something like that. And then they minted a bunch of tokens that can be traded. Well, it's similar to what we have with Seeds, but it's backed by a stable coin instead of ETH. And they just use it to like facilitate uh, exchange of stuff in the in the village, because like they had all these uh, uh, things that people can do, or like from services to like different products that they can make, but they didn't really have any money to facilitate that that exchange, and so they started this uh, this currency. So who is like who is providing liquidity? Uh, I don't know how it, how it works exactly. Either the, not even sure how the project got started, but if the pro- project is from outside the village, then I'm guessing that the project somehow raised some money for the village. And uh, maybe people in the village also did like a fundraise to get some of those uh, initial, some of that initial supply. I'm not sure. But yeah, you need, you need something, but uh, you don't need like uh, as much as you would usually need, which is everything. Like 10, 20% of that, or even not nothing. Like in our case, seeds start with uh, like zero backing. But then you need to like bring in tourists or like convince other people to put in money for, to the token. But yeah, for like the bootstrapping phase, you can just start it. Like the way it worked in Metagame, I just had a Google Sheet and I said, okay, one hour of my time is worth 10 seeds. And then how much are 10 seeds worth? Well, how much you value your time like compared to what I did. And then when I did something less impactful, I would put in less. Or when I did something more impactful, I would put in like maybe 15 seeds. That's as <laughs> simple as that, how it started. Like, Yeah, that's that's so wild. Like I'm fascinated with how like traditional startups, you go and you raise a bunch of money and then use that money to go do stuff. It's like 
the incentives are never perfectly aligned with that. And that's why I like actually started a quote unquote startup uh, like four years ago. And I never wanted to raise money because I knew I would be beholden to investors and they were going to get me to do things I didn't want to do. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really think that's worth it. So we're going to try and bootstrap. And that's, you know, hard. But it's but that sort of thing is a lot easier if there's like a really well-defined mission that everyone really believes in. Like if that's the case, then I think like it's way easier to get started. And like you don't necessarily like like you need some capital in order to like transact with the greater world but if you're living especially if you're living somewhere with a with a lower cost of living like it's really interesting how you can create a currency just for your own organization and use that to like govern you know most of what's going on within within that circle but again like you have to provide something for like the greater community around your like tightly focused one to, you know, be able to trade and, and do that sort of thing. You know, it's much more flexible than in the capitalist economy where like by definition, your example of that, with that guy where for the Airbnb project where like, you know, any investor is interested in extracting some amount of value from the system. And it's like, well, at the beginning, there's not enough value to actually be extracted. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's very vulnerable and it would have to grow to some amount for there to actually be enough free currency to kind of move out of the system in order for any investor to be interested in some, you know, some amount of gains. Right. I feel like in in some ways it's actually cheaper to make it in the real world at least uh, if you have a place or like because the more decentralized the more expensive because you have people living all over the world and then in that case these people need to pay rent they need to buy food in those places but if we were all in the in a single place we could just produce our own food and not have to pay rent like if it's just a bunch of people in a single location it's easier to make it sustainable without needing uh, the like the inflow of money yep Back to the intentional communities, <laughs> which is kind of the whole point, right? I also have a, a part of the solution for the problem we're talking about with raising. So I think the pro- have a bit of a problem with raising just by the nature of the idea of metagame, because investors really do seem to like want really precise and like uh, really detailed. Uh, what is going to be achieved like what specific project and what's uh, like everything about it like focused on that and metagame is like oh we have a podcast we have videos we have uh, meetups we have profiles we have <laughs> so many different things so that's uh, much harder to pitch but the way i want to at least keep investors away from fucking it up once we have investors is it like yeah, metagame? It's, there will be a seed fund DAO that uh, investors will have control over, but metagame itself will will still be democratic. So yeah, they will have some control because they will rage quit their money, but uh, they they won't be able to like tell us uh, <laughs> what we should do or like sway our voting with uh, like big token stakes, as seems to be something that will easily be happening in other DAOs that have like token-based voting. Yeah, yeah, totally. So do you have any sense of what percentage of investors are coming from the like traditional capitalist mindset? 
versus the more like egalitarian like web3 mindset so far none like from the old world i haven't talked to anybody there was one that contacted me after the the latest newsletter and they i can't remember what it was called but it sounded super corporate and the website was super corporate and i told them hey you know uh, like there's no equity and there's no like legal paperwork there's just tokens and that's it and uh, he said uh, yeah okay and i said yeah because like your website looks pretty traditional and he was like oh yeah it's just because that because we're like uh, marketing to traditional investors to invest in our fund but uh, they were still like just buy tokens yeah <laughs> yeah who knows first of all i want to raise as much as possible from individuals that are like in crypto rather than funds and then with funds i will focus on DAOs. there aren't many like DAO funds but there's a few and then we'll see uh, how far we get with that and then like traditional vcs with like they're in traditional traditional but uh, traditional crypto vcs are like the, the last resort yeah yeah that makes sense it's always kind of a a challenge like I, i'm sure you experienced this as well probably everyone in the crypto scene like trying to explain like what the hell a metagame is or what a DAO is to someone who's like totally outside of the community, totally not educated about, about crypto or blockchain as a whole. It's always like a challenge explaining kind of how everything works. And I feel like every time I go there, there's like one or two things that I'm like starting to explain. I'm just like, oh shit, I don't actually understand how this works. And, and like, there's this obvious thing, there's this obvious pitfall that I just like, thought of while trying to explain it to somebody else and like uh-oh <laughs> i don't know the answer to this but i'm sure someone else has thought about it or you know attempted to get around it yeah the thing is that like even in people that are in crypto don't necessarily know hey like crypto could be used for building whole new world most of the people that are new to crypto are like yeah there are these coins you can make money there are nfts you can make money with nfts and that's about as much as they know about crypto and in our case you have to like understand the crypto a bit more deeply but you also need to understand like why is gamification powerful like with some people it's like i, was, I would have to explain to them the meta and they, they don't even know what uh, freelancing is oh boy yeah <laughs> it's that's a that's bridge too far yeah. it's absolutely impossible <laughs> yeah yeah just today i'm thinking more about the like the onboarding that comes before the discord onboarding that uh, isn't built because uh, i was talking to dave and he's uh, building the like designing the new landing page and this Bulik told me that uh, my meta profile should now be a week away so theoretically it won't be long before we can connect the new landing page to the profile creation flow which should uh, so either before the profile creation or after i think there should be some kind of a dialogue where you like answer the yes you like we try to assess like what's your understanding level and you go okay do you know what is crypto okay do you know it can be used for things other than making money okay do you have a metamask installed okay go explore the house of DAO. so like uh, house of ethereum do you know what DAOs are go explore there and that sort of stuff to begin with it can be just text but eventually 
all of these questions could be like, okay, the bot is asking you questions and then he gives you these choices and these choices are quests. And like he tells you, okay, if you want to learn more about this, take this quest that says, go to the house of Ethereum and uh, dig deeper and then write a short uh, report on what did you find. Nice, yeah, so the, is the idea that that's like a Discord bot? I mean, no, no, the, the idea is to make it like a proper UI on the website after we have the landing page and the, the My Meta profile creation. But yeah, like when those things start to come together, this was going to be like easier to explain metagame because right now it's still like, it's all these different pieces all over the place and people like, okay, I understand the basic idea, but how do I use this? <laughs> like, what is, like, what? Yeah, like a, the overall vision is really exciting and I think motivating and like, you know, almost any like traditional game A like community or organization would just like give anything to have the amount of like organic influx of people that we do. <laughs> and that's just because like, you know, we're solving like the biggest problem there is. It's like, you know, how do you actually coordinate at scale? But yeah, I remember when I'm um, getting started about a year ago, you know, I was totally new to like Ethereum. And so I had to go through the process of like setting up MetaMask. And, and for me, it was pretty important to at least have like a cursory knowledge of the like economic system. And so I feel like I did a fair amount of research to, to figure out how that all works. And I wrote this little like document that was like a fictional conversation between like someone well-versed in crypto and someone who wasn't basically explaining how like, how XP and, and cred works within our little like niche of like, the Web3 world. And yeah, like some people probably don't care and they're just like, oh, cool, this, you know, I'll just click some buttons and get stuff set up. And it, it's actually not that hard if you have good documentation to like get all the like nuts and bolts set up. Like it's, I'm sure it's a lot better than it was like four years ago, for instance. <laughs> to get started but yeah and then there's people like me that's you know i i don't get into new things without a lot of research and so and we don't necessarily have to provide that content but it does seem like it's it's useful for a certain like segment of people that are new to web3 but then again you're saying that almost nobody getting into metagame is actually new to web3 so maybe it doesn't matter <laughs> right yeah those uh, first few steps would probably just get Skip, skip, skip. <laughs> I have MetaMask. Let's just get into it. But yeah, it's still important to have. And it, I think also like we've in stuff like uh, what kind of problems do you have? Or, like uh, what kind of things you're looking for? And then maybe even direct into like other kind of, as you said, like uh, healing stuff. And uh, you mentioned this sort of healing and well-being a bunch of times previously, which reminded me this. Uh, good timing because it just uh, two days ago when I was writing the the quests, one of them was start writing the house of well-being, which I think is yeah time we had it. Because, yeah, we have the house of Ethereum, house of DAOs, house of NFTs, house of DeFi, uh, house of DApps, and yeah, I think now it's time to <laughs> make that house of well-being. Like okay, there's all of this stuff, but please don't don't burn out and maybe heal yourself and. Maybe meditate, maybe go read this book on psychology or whatever. Yeah, totally. Like there's some pretty like kind of no-brainer, practical, pragmatic advice that we can provide. 
but we probably don't want to go too deep. And I feel like that's where like partnerships with other like organizations and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I really see us uh, more so as the curators of uh, all of this knowledge, not, not that we will like make all this content, but more so explore and then index upvote content and then have other people dig in and maybe dig up some new piece of content and then add it to the great house or that sort of stuff. Maybe write a playbook that uh, links to the bigger resource. And it's the same how I see the, the skill trees developing. Like there are all of, the, all of these skills, but yeah, there's this skill you can go to Coursera and learn it. Or there's this skill you can go to the blockchain academy something, learn that there that that kind of thing yeah like i <laughs> i know you, you've mentioned this before how like you know metagame is trying to do a lot of things and uh i see a lot of value in providing the like most useful content for people kind of coming into the system it, it seems like we're doing better than most other DAOs in terms of like being receptive to people from all over the world and from all kinds of stripes. And so like showing that we actually care about people's well-being <laughs> like goes a long way towards towards that like welcoming feeling, you know. Right. Yeah, I also started an issue that I like I had this idea since like pretty much since I started thinking about metagame, but the issue still didn't exist, which is like when you connect a wallet, the game messes you like, hey, how are you doing today? Or something like that and then you can answer and then you can say okay you can ask you like uh, what goal do you have for today or like what frustrates you about metagame or yeah any kind of question and that's how we how we then get to that being able to have on the dashboard like okay general happiness in metagame like morale it's i think su super important metrics that we should like be having in organizations and the society in general yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're frustrated with the speed of implementation for these ideas, but yeah, welcome to being a founder and a, and a you know product owner to some extent. <laughs> I'm sure you know a lot more than you did two years ago about how, you know, it just takes a long time to build these things in a way that... How it actually works. Uh, yeah. And also, like, uh, gotten more realistic, like, when I just started. Well, first of all, like, if I knew it was this hard, I probably never even would have started it. But, like, uh, I was expecting, like, people to be a lot more autonomous. I thought, okay, that is going to be, I will just vaguely explain these ideas. And then people who are, like, self-motivated will uh, read them and get inspired, maybe, and then write, uh, like, start building them. But then, like, okay, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, first of all, you need, like, things that are better specified. And uh, you can just put on, put on ideas and expect people to start naturally coordinating. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if you're attracting, like, entrepreneurial types, then yes. But, like, those entrepreneurial types that also have the skills to build it are just, like, vanishingly rare these days. And all of those people that exist, like, are probably involved with, like, a thousand other projects. <laughs> so. But it's also, like, it's much, uh, like, in open source projects, always, there's always, still always, uh, like, a few people really driving the effort. But there needs to be at least that one person. Like, if you founded a technical project, you should have, like, a like, technical person who will kind of lead it. Like, if 
like in, in my case, like I'm sure that if I was a developer, the technical side would be much stronger and the community and content side would probably be weaker because I would be able to like lead the charge there and really be, would be pushing that uh, side the whole time since the beginning and uh, like lead by example rather than just trying to write things. Yeah, totally. And it's, uh, I've always viewed like my participation in metagame just as like mostly an experiment because <laughs> there's like so many new things going on and so many things we're, we're pioneering or just experimenting with and it's like it's super fascinating and also really refreshing to be working with a lot of like non-technical people and like for me that's really fun where you know like you know I kind of went over my brief career history but it's like you know I pretty much only work with like other men and they're like super technical and you know you only get so far with people with that kind of mindset you know and so it's yeah it's super fun seeing other people's ideas and like like the the community really is amazing i mean i'm not that engaged but oh man there's just so much going on and i just love just how like vibrant it is like we have our differences and like drama once in a while but i don't know it's just it just feels really alive and it's it's really fun yeah it's so lively there were like periods of quiet but in general like for the past more than a year it's been pretty lively i still remember the like the early days when i would uh, wake up and i would be happy if there was like one new message in the discord in one channel on discord and like oh i have to read all of these messages that were new and then with time, it became like impossible to keep up with all the channels. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I joined, like, I know there were some people that were like, you know, trying to make all the channels not bold anymore. <laughs> <laughs> even at that point, like I was like, not ever hoping to or intending to, to keep up on it just because I didn't have enough time. But I, I knew some people were and I was just like, oh, like, how do you how do you do this? It like work a full time job. It's like it doesn't doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we're we're over an hour, so we should be looping it back in and maybe close with something like, "What's your hope for the future in general, the future of meta game, and that sort of stuff?" Like overall, I guess. Oof. <laughs> I guess my hope is just like continued stability and hopefully a reversal of a lot of these like negative trends like in the culture wars and and all that and like a there's a lot of ways that could materialize but i guess uh, i am hoping to see that the greater like web3 ethos getting more widespread and you know, providing like a real alternative for people. It has to happen quickly enough that like the entrenched interests do, don't have time to kind of like take it over, which is a, a real concern of mine about, about the space and really like any egalitarian space. Like, you know, Moloch has its own agenda and it will, you know, it's very well financed and there's a lot of um, velocity behind it. But there is like, the capacity within you know this this group of people to you know like really 
get some traction within like the greater greater society. And so like yeah, like that's that's my hope there. And then as far as the greater world, just like a slowing down of the like slow collapse of what we're seeing right now, just in almost all aspects. Like from the environmental to like culture wars to general well-being, like it's it's not great. <laughs> Things gonna continue degrading. Yeah, like I, I don't really see that stopping. And the the ways to like make changes quickly tend to be violent, so I don't really want to see that either. So it kind of has to be like a slower transition, but you know, like we don't have a ton of time in terms of like. Um, environmental degradation you know like we're we're basically poisoning the substrate that keeps us alive and that's like it's still that's not really slowing down yeah yeah and all of this like uh, is it pronounced cup or something like that the the climate change and that sort of stuff the huge conference where like countries say they're like oh yeah we agree with this and then they just continue polluting Yeah, well, that's that, that's Moloch, right? <laughs> yeah, I've been reading reports from that conference, and it's like it's so disappointing. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even really pay attention because I was like, you know, I don't really see any meaningful change there, just because like the this the structure of like the modern world is, you know, is going to cause not much change to happen very quickly, and that's you know, if there's no violence because of that, then I think that's good. <laughs> but like i think it's better to just kind of slowly plot along with what we're doing and allow for potentially a better way of living to emerge than it is to like try and make like abrupt changes in you know governance and you know there, there's a lot of like dark dark paths that we've already gone down as as a species yeah i feel it's uh at this point it's more impactful to try to really focus on the people and the places that are trying to do something different and try to connect all these spaces and yeah with metagame we can try to build this sort of new operating system and plug in a bunch of eco villages and that sort of place and try to help people with creating more bridging people across these places and expanding i I think at some point, like with, when metagame really is, is a, like a massive online coordination game, then when maybe we might have a better chance of making an impact with uh, more radical actions, with directly fighting some of the things that's going on that is wrong. But yeah, more so see this uh, side of things that's not about fighting, but just building a, an alternative. But it's always going to clash because uh, you can build an alternative, but if the other side doesn't uh, do at least something, then your alternative will also be fucked at some point. Yeah, I mean, if you can build something that's inspiring for enough people, then that's where the power is. You know, that's really the, the only path forward that I can see. But it's also, like, a very exciting path forward. <laughs> And it's something that you can... You can run with, you know. Yeah, we've been running with it. <laughs> Just need to make it more palatable and make the nicer UIs and explain it better and everything. But I think it's, yeah, we're on the right path. That's what it seems. Yeah, I agree. All right, yeah, perfect note to end it on. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. This was great. 
yeah that was a lot of fun thanks for the invite yeah i'll see you on discord <laughs> see you around man